From American Public Media, this is an APM documentary. One thing about my education journey is that there are times where I have felt so alone. And alone in the sense that, like, I'm physically alone, but also mentally, emotionally, and as an Indigenous student, I've oftentimes felt so alone that, like, it is kind of scary. Like, being the only person in the classroom, like, there are times where, like, I have not seen someone who looked like myself in months. You're listening to Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries. I'm Nez, and I've recorded that entry about my tough start in college. I'm Hopi and Navajo. I chose a majority white university far from home to study pre-med. All my life, I had to learn to navigate two worlds. It's extra work a lot of my classmates didn't have to worry about. America's education system isn't the same for Native students. We come with different histories. A lot of people don't know it, but education was actually used to erase our cultures. To stop our parents and grandparents from speaking our languages. Now we're learning to go to college on our own terms. We're finding ways to make our own use of a system built by the white people who took our lands. We're strengthening the ties to our native roots. And also creating ways to support our communities. We want the Native youth coming up after us to see that this can be done. So over the next hour, we'll tell you our stories. The first story comes from Ruben Quito Stately, a student at Augsburg University in Minneapolis. From his earliest memories, Ruben saw education as truth-seeking, filling in what was missing. Where were the stories of Native people in his history books? Ruben starts his story at a high school in St. Paul, Minnesota, where he's giving a presentation. We are super excited to welcome everyone to SPA's first ever assembly in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day. We are thrilled to introduce our speaker, Ruben Kiddo Stately. His stage name is Kiddo. He is a 21-year-old recording artist from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a college student currently attending Augsburg University. That's how you say hello in Dakota. <laughs> totally kidding. All right. <clears throat> but if I'm going to come speak to you all, I need to speak to you all in uh, my mother tongue, the Dakota language, the original language of the land that we're standing on, Manishota Makoche, we called it. For many, many, many years, thousands of years before uh, anyone else was here. So um, anyway, that was uh, my introduction. I told you I'm from the White Bluffs. And then I said, nowadays, in English, we call it St. Paul. Putting rhymes on the page. I was 12 years young when we made Renegade. 13 years old, I was throwing shade. 14 years young in the street, blowing haze. All this time I've seen the world differently. Colors vividly, I'm using words for imagery. I grew up in an urban place where a bunch of native kids had long hair, and it wasn't uncommon for us to have long hair. We could joke and play, and we could be ourselves, and it was me being surrounded by other boys that were just like me, being among my own people. I'm pretty sure it was like my first week in a public school, and I'm pretty sure I was four. But I remember meeting a white student. He was the only white student in the class. He asked me, where, where are you from? And he thinks I'm Mexican. And I told him, oh, I'm not Mexican. I actually think this is the first time I ever had to specify who I was. And he says, well, if you're not Mexican, like, where are you from? And I said, I'm from here. I'm, I'm an American Indian. I'm a Dakota. And he laughed in my face. And he told me, there's no Indians left. They're all dead. So I remember my mom picking me up from school and me going home that day, and I asked her, looking out the car window, why do other people think that? Well, I clearly remember that day. I um, knew that public schools were misinformed, and I knew the miseducation of 
other students about indigenous history was prevalent. And at the time, we really didn't know, except to kind of avoid public education, how to change that narrative. And so since that moment of that little boy was kind of like a reminder, a trigger, hey, this is the work that we have to do. There were no trees here. Find a spot. My mom, Ramona Quito Stately, made her career in Indian education. One day, she and I took a visitor from out of town to a place that's sacred to the Dakota people. It's called Berote. It's an island between two rivers in St. Paul. This is the confluence of the Minnesota River and the Mississippi River. And we also refer to it as Makacho Kayaking, and that means the center of our universe, because this is our creation story. The best teachers I ever met were my family members my mother and my dad and my grandfather who took good care and nourished my headspace to become a Dakota thinker, speaker, and leader. Ruben, did you want to share a song? Yeah, so I have a song I usually share when people come here. It's good when people come here and they find some truth and then, you know, they let the land tell a story and then they let Dakotas tell the story because anywhere else, often it's, it's not us telling our own story. a Dakota way of thinking and believing, everyone can be a teacher at any given time. That's why when people speak, we give them the floor. It doesn't matter if you're the oldest at the table, it doesn't matter if you're the youngest at the table. All the people that I looked up to, they gave me the time, energy, and kind of space to be the leader sometimes or be the teacher sometimes. And what that did is it, it just strengthened that place for me to speak up and say what I felt like I needed to say. this Western culture of teaching, there's one person in the room who gets to be the teacher the whole time. So I think there's a culture shock when we walk into a school. And I also think that teachers have been taught things in school. They could be totally uninformed about Native people or misinformed. So I had to be the student in the classroom in seventh grade where my teacher had a, and this is a non-white person, mind you, this is a non-white person, and they're teaching a history class, seventh grade history class. And they start talking about the Indian Removal Act. And they started talking about the white perspective and the native perspective. And as my hand shot up, and I said, I don't think you know the native perspective, and I don't think you should be teaching it. And she said, I have a degree, I have a master's degree in history. And I said, well, I know that white men wrote all those books and you cannot tell the Native perspective. Like I told her, I said, you're doing a terrible job saying how Native people thought about the Indian Removal Act. And she sent me out in the hall for, I don't know what you'd call that, but insubordination of some kind or whatever. But I wasn't supposed to be the teacher at the time. I was supposed to be the student. And I was supposed to shut up and learn or whatever, you know. So my mom, my dad, and my grandpa, they didn't really raise me to be that way. They raised me to speak up when I know something, and so that's what I did. What kind of Native student does that? A normal Native student would take the shame and put the shame on themselves, even when they know better, which is crazy. Like, but basically, the weight of that scenario is on our shoulders. And for one moment, I put it on my teacher's shoulders, and she did not like it. She hated it. This song is called Dear My Future Son. The sky's the limit, that's what they told a fool. Don't be surprised if that's what they tell you in school. The standard education will fail to reach you. And your teachers will probably fail to teach you. But they're gonna point at you for the blame. You'll interpret their failure as your own shame. Their curriculum will misrepresent you. And your society will probably not accept you. Sadly, that's just how it goes. But I was very young and my parents were talking about my future. And they just said, very matter of fact, you're going to college. So I didn't question it. I was like, oh, I'm going to college? Cool. 
and I pictured it for a long time. That was really the goal when we had children was to prepare them to be native, but also to be able to navigate this white world. It's important. We can't ignore it. We have to be able to navigate jobs and owning property and all those things and be competitive. And we also have to acknowledge and understand our cultural life ways. I was pretty dead set on American Indian studies. And that was by the time I was in 10th grade. I knew that American Indian studies would help me fill in the gaps for all the times in which I don't understand colonization here in America. You know, how have native people from all these different nations, hundreds of nations, how have we all become American or in what ways have we totally assimilated, but in what ways have we resisted? You know, like there's so many things that I wanted to know and I was hungry for it. So I said, American Indian studies, I'm like dead set on that. When it all came down to it, I have an amazing scholarship to come here to Augsburg. All right, we're live. So yeah, tell us about yourself, Eric. Um, tell us who you are. I'm Eric Buffalohead. I'm from White Eagle, Oklahoma. I'm Ponca. And I my job is uh, being the chair of the American Indian Studies Department here at Augsburg University in Minneapolis. So I think I'm just going to reverberate some questions that uh, were asked of me. What could universities do to support Native students? Part of the issue is uh, even today, even though it's, you know, 2022, there's a lot of Native students who are first time. That's their first person in their family to go to university or college. And so that's uh, always a really tough experience because you don't have your parents' advice to fall back on. That's big. Native students are already facing the huge issue of having such a high dropout rate in high school that the number of them here is, is small to begin with. And then, you know, you run into the same problems, lack of, of role models and mentors. I mean, what do we have? Two Native employees at Augsburg now, or maybe only me. I don't even know. Uh, I think there might be two. So what are some things that Native students bring to their universities that's uh, invaluable? Well, I think the one of the most important things is, is that they're representatives of the 574 sovereign nations. And to other students, that's maybe the first time they've ever really been able to really understand what that means. Hey, we have this big United States, but there's 574 federally recognized tribes, and they're sovereign nations. We represent a really interesting worldview in that we are, whether we like it or not, a conquered people in our own land. I mean, we're like... We're almost like POWs in a way. We're in our own land, but, you know, maybe mainstream Americans need to understand because I think they don't really grasp the idea of themselves being immigrants. Hey, you guys are uh, foreigners here, <laughs> you know, and we were here before you, and uh, you really should, you know, grasp and understand the complexity of the relationship that has existed in the last 500 years for Native peoples. All of the traditions and everything has been kind of stifled down by policies of assimilation. And as we try to prop up as much of that culture as we can and embrace things like language and spirituality and just worldview in general, and having all these Native students around and the experiences they bring is really cool. All right. Can you read that to me? Robert E. For my whole education, I have known that whatever I learn here at Augsburg, I'm going to take back to my people. And the people of mine that I focus on are the young ones. I've got an internship at a native charter school here in Minneapolis, Badote Learning Center, teaching kindergartners. In Washichuyapi, what does that mean? We chalk these. The sun is a big star? Yeah, the sun is a very big star. That's what we were saying. They're at this age where... You can spark their inspiration and tell them, hey, you could go to school further and you could learn the truth like I did. Even if you're not inspired by all the same things that I was, there's so many things that you could do. Like maybe you're talented at something in school and you've never been given the space or time to flourish in that. College is a space where you do that, you know. And if you're in high school and you've only experienced high school, it's terrible, you know. You have like seven classes a day. You're expected to be good at seven things at the same time. Like, come on. Young people trying to go to college, I always tell them, you got like four classes, dude, and you're telling them what you want to learn. You're telling them what time of day you want to learn it, and it's way better. So I, I think that it's an act of resistance because 
in the end, whether we like it or not, this is a capitalist system. And the best way that we can support our people and ourselves and our families is to make money. And then also that degree, you could bring it back to your people and get a job for your tribe. Or, you know, maybe you can go to a non-native space and you can help create native space in somewhere new. To me, it's an act of resistance because you're able to indigenize new space or you strengthen the space that your people are already in. That's Ruben Quito Stately. Ruben graduated from Augsburg University in May of 2022. In his first year out of college, he'll be creating an album with Native youth in Minneapolis, exploring themes of wellness and drug prevention. I'm Nevainez. You're listening to Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries. Next up, we're going to hear from Archie Yellow. He's a student at Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College. It's in Cloquet in northern Minnesota, near the Fond du Lac Indian Reservation, where he's a member. Archie has an amazing story about taking a second run at college, and this time he's on fire to succeed. Okay, okay. Boozhu. Archie and Dijanikaz. Mukwan du Danum. Nagaji Wanungan Dunjaba. Just a little easy saying. I just, let me go through what I got done saying to y'all. I said, hello, Boozhu. My name is Archie. Archie and Dijanikaz. Mukwandudanum, my clan is Mukwa. Nagaji Wanungan Dunjaba. I'm from Fond du Lac. Fond du Lac is where I'm from. Quick little introduction. Nothing crazy. The Ojibwe language. Some might know it as Chippewa. I was born in Minneapolis, 91, in Hennepin County, you know, right downtown Minneapolis. My family was living in the projects, but uh, like most Native families and most Natives that lived in the cities, we bounced around, like, you know what I'm saying? I spent summers in the res going to Grandma's house. <laughs> so I'm in my family, I'm the oldest, and I have seven siblings, five brothers and two sisters. Our ages range from what me, I'm 30, and the youngest is 15, 16. Me and my brothers, we all used to be, like, in this huge native gang. It's probably, like, something everyone's heard of. Native mob. It's, like, huge native gang in the cities all over Minnesota. Getting fast money and then, like, just living a fast life. That that was, like, the goals and the lifestyle. I'm one of the blessed, lucky few that even were able to escape anything like that. I had a lot of homeboys that didn't even make it to 18. You know, I thought I was going to be in prison or just, you know, stuck in this loop of gangbanging, living that life. I thought that was going to be it. But something always told me that there was more. So my story, I want y'all to know, is like of me getting my life together for me and my family. And it happened. It worked. It really happened. My first experience at college, it wasn't a great one. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Starting out? Well, Lake Superior College can prepare you to... I went to uh, Lake Superior College. This is like the first school I knew about, and I, it was a community college. Lake Superior College offers training in a plethora of programs. And uh, I didn't know what to go for. I didn't even know like what you should do or nothing. It was just like total shoot in the dark. And I just went there, signed up. I think there was only like two other natives that I knew. And those guys both left within the first few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I did my math, writing. I took this one class that was really nice. It was titled like finding success in college or something like that and it was the only class out of all the other three that I actually passed because I, I liked it and I was the only one that I was interested in 
like the stuff she talked about really hit me like what you needed to succeed in school and just in life she talked about having this foundation like you know saying having a stable job having a stable house a stable life and then you can move on and then you can look at schooling and then you can look at higher education and I was completely blown away by how right she was because I was completely like you know say not stable I didn't have a good home and I was couch surfing going from homeboy's crib to homeboy's crib so yeah it was just really bad bad experience I did not do too well my first time around in school then yeah I moved down to the cities and my dad helped me get a job moving furniture. That was a good paying job, you know, like 16, 17 an hour. I had a son like when I was 18, right, 19. But that didn't like do much to motivate me at the time. Because all people around me, they were off deadbeat dads too and having kids left and right. So that's all I saw, right? I missed out on my son the first part of his whole life. Something I'll never be able to get back. Then I had my twins, yo, and that's when it, like, all changed. Like, I was, like, 24, 25. I knew I didn't want to gangbang and stuff no more, but I knew, like, I couldn't do this, like, moving furniture stuff forever. And then me and that girl, like, weren't at all fit for parenting. My twins and my her, she moved back to South Dakota, go stay with her mom and her parents and her family so that, you know, saying it'd be easier living for her. So after my twins left, I knew if we got up north, closer to the res and stuff, like, they would help us out. Getting on the casino payroll, it's been a real good place to, like, get work. They've always had my back, and they've always gave me a job. The pandemic hit. So I knew I had to do something. So I said, all right, let's see if I can go back to school. You're listening to Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries, a documentary from American Public Media. We'll take a short break and then get back into Archie's story. At age 28, he decides to take a second shot at college and at making a new life. I'm defying mad odds, you know. Look, I mean, I'm supposed to be here with all these guys on the res, walking around, you know, um, no life or no goals. <laughs> That was me, man. I was, I had nothing. You can find portraits of the three of us on the APM Reports website, apmreports.org. You can also browse APM's entire archive of education documentaries. Support for this program comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Education Writers Association. More in a moment, this is APM, American Public Media. From American Public Media, this is an APM documentary, Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries. I'm Nevaez. Let's jump back into Archie Yellow's story. The COVID pandemic shut down the tribal casino where he had been working. So Archie decides to try college again. Archie washed out of community college when he tried it a decade before. This time, he enrolls at a tribal college. There are more than 30 tribal colleges across the country. Indian students who start out at a tribal college have a much better chance of finishing than if they go to a mainstream college right out of high school. Archie signed on. 
And I always wanted to go back to school, and I always knew if I went back to school, I was going to go back to school at Fond du Lac. I'm Josh from Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College. I'm the admissions officer. We have American Indian Studies. First off, it was my residence school, so I had that going for it. I think it's important to pick up all that we can from our past. We want you to be who you want to be, and we'll do the best we can to help you see Our tribal flags are all hanging. Everywhere you go, like, in there, there's, like, Native artwork laying around. So when you walk in there, it feels nice. I knew right away I wanted to go for Native American studies. I knew if I learned my language and my culture, that would just, like, open up mad doors. It would just, you know, put me down the right path. What day was it yesterday? If I just, like, got in tune with my culture, got in tune with my language, learned it, right? What is today? Being a teacher would be, like, my way to atone. I lived a horrible life. I did horrible things, and that's the whole thing I'm trying to do, like, with this schooling and, like, becoming a teacher and heal my community for all the, like, damage and, like, um, destruction I've done my whole life. <laughs> we went out to the res, um place where I grew up, my grandma's house, they call it East Pine. This turns into res right here. Look at how messed up it is. See how that's all paved? That's there's white people stuff, then boom. Here we are, right here, man. This is res and it turns into a dirt road. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that used to be a blueberry fields. Right here is where I used to stay. At your teal drive. Right there, my grandma's house. When I think of education and, like, when I look at my uh, honor roll, little certificates and stuff, I think of her, how that would make her feel. I feel like she's still watching over me because, man, I've had so many close calls and, <laughs> and this, is, this is a crazy blessing that I'm here, you know, doing this and I'm here going to school. Um, shoot, man, I'm defying mad odds, you know. Look, I mean, I'm supposed to be here with all these guys on the res, walking around, no life or no goals. <laughs> that was me, man. I was, I had nothing. Drinking every day, you know? I saw that all the time. That's a major, like, you know what I'm saying, disease in our culture and our community. My dads and my grandpas were, you know what I'm saying, drunks, and that's all I saw was partying, you know? And then, like, I saw it slowly, saw it, like, trying to swallow my life and trying to swallow me. I can't wait to be a teacher here, though. So I could teach the youngins and teach the uh, older ones. I want to be the old, wise native. <laughs> you know, I want to be that guy, even though I'm not wise right now, you know. <laughs> when I become super dope with all this and get acquainted with this I want to go down to the cities and start getting them guys because those are the ones that are really lost and man I remember down there I just always felt hopeless and lost like no one was going to come save me I had no role models you know and there was there was no one I could look up to there was no one there I just hope that I can be that guy and become some hope for these kids out here but yeah so Anton Choi is an uh, Ojibwe professor at Bemidji State University. He's also been like a huge like language war in the uh, Ojibwe community. When they asked me to come and do a TED talk, nobody said anything about using a foreign language like English. In fact, after like we read his book, like I just started reading all his stuff online and started like watching all his YouTube. And I'm speaking to you in Ojibwe one of nearly 200 tribal languages still spoken in the United States, that somehow mine is the one that often ends up being thought of as foreign. This is someone like I look up to, someone I look towards becoming. The main goal and dream of mine is to go to Bemidji State so I can go learn under Mr. Troy and take his classes. I haven't had much practice with the whole interviewing people, but I'm mad excited. Hey there. Mm -hmm. 
Bonjour. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. Well, come on in. Welcome. I kind of feel like I got one foot in a, in a wigwam still and one sitting here in an ivory tower, but I really like living at home, you know? Yeah. And since, like, I started going to school, like, my whole life got, like, revived. Mm-hmm. And, like, I turned a whole new page. Um, I was wondering, like, is it even worth it? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Is this all, gonna, is this all effort going to be, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, destroyed at the end because, like, of what I did in the past? Well, there's no way to purge all the, like, negativity from the world. But what you can do is create a center for yourself, starting with your body you know, your community, your circle, the people around you. And if you feel that full of light, love, and good things, then it pushes all that darkness out. It might be swirling around the edges. It'll be out in the world, but it doesn't have to be running your world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about the body, like Niyo, my body, and it's kind of like a cup. You know, it's it's temporary housing for our soul. And... Uh, when you fill your cup up with good stuff, it pushes all the bad stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Every time you're learning a new word, a new song, a new whatever, you're filling it up with the good stuff, and it's pushing that bad stuff out. So it's hard to cure the whole dang world of all its ills and substance abuse and everything else, but you can recenter your own space, and it'll make all the difference. I'm in college, learning my language and culture, and it's like, uh, man, you know... It's just something I'm, like, proud to tell people. And what we thought going to school was, like, you know what I'm saying, was, like, getting whitewashed and, like, losing your uh, culture, losing who you were. That's how I remember, like, feeling like how school was, why I never, like, felt like I succeeded at it. Being good in school meant, like, you're trying to be an apple, like, you're trying to be, like, red on outside but white on the inside. So you're trying to be somebody else. It just wasn't like what we represented as like we thought being native was. One of the things about colonization is that it's about taking one language, culture, religion and using it to supplant all the other ones. And that's what education is. We're still doing colonization. We are still assimilating, colonizing and indoctrinating people into that. And as a native person, especially like a brown-skinned native person, like you will never be accepted as a white person. You will still be like hyper-visible, racially profiled, you know, mistrusted, downtrodden, less safe. Like when they go to school, whiteness is the operating norm. 2% of the world's population is blonde, but like 90% of the beauty icons are blonde. We're told to worship that, you know? It's weird. But when we get a chance to learn about ourselves, when it's okay being me in my body and then embrace and love who we are as an Anishinaabeg, then, you know, we'll truly succeed. And I, I don't mean just succeed in terms of like getting a paper or credential. I mean succeed in having our best chance at a long, healthy, happy life. Man, he was more, like, down-to-earth than I thought. Um, it was very easy talking to him. And, like, how he talked about, like, yo, if you just fill your circle right, everything will be right. Yeah, he really, like, you know saying, reminded me that, like, yeah, if I, like, build this up right, I don't think nothing can come by and knock it down. I just got to, like, uh, believe in myself and believe in my work. It's crazy how far I've come with this and how far I'm going with this. I've gave the gang life at least 10 years of my life. So I figured, what if I gave schooling, higher education, my language and my culture, what if I gave them 10 years of my life? Where would I go? What, what would happen? My success at college is finally rubbing off on everyone else here. And, like, my two siblings, I got three siblings, actually. I got, I got, I forgot, my brother Dennis is getting his GED. And he's, like, one test away from getting it. I think he has to do his math, which I'm helping him. My sister signed up for Fond du Lac School. I can't believe how happy that makes me. 
my brother George, who I thought he was never gonna go to school, and now he's finishing school and going, planning on going to college too. Man, I tell my son all the time, like, yo, boy, I'm, I'm doing something big, yo, trying to make things happen for us, something to, for you to be proud of, like. Man, I just can't wait for that day to just say to my son, like, yo, your dad's a teacher. Man, those are stuff to think about. <laughs> that was Archie Yellow. He's a student at Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College in Cloquet, Minnesota. You're listening to Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries from APM. I'm Nevenez, and now... It's time to hear my story. When I'm out running, I think a lot about my childhood. I spend a lot of time outside and like any kind of typical res kid, I was always outside. Our parents encouraged us to be anywhere but indoors. And then um, eventually my mom would make us go running with her and we would run as a family. At first I was not really about it. I think it was not, I thought it was hard. Like it it, it definitely is something hard. And I think being a kid, like you don't want to be forced to run. Like you'd rather go play, but it, it was nice to have that pressure from my mom. And I think that's the biggest thing I think about when I'm going running and I remember my mom always asked us, like, who are you running for today? Like, who needs more strength today? And Hopi, you're running for other people. You're making sure that you're keeping someone in mind. Running is a healing force, and I want to be able to tie healing that is present within our culture and apply that to my work as a doctor. My dream is to become an orthopedic surgeon in sports medicine and work with Native athletes around the nation. Okay, let's see. I'm just going to start by introducing myself. Um, University of Minnesota, Rochester, Tukai. Itanga Monica Pulinga, my Yamatua, but Itana Fernanda Nez Yamatua. Itana Wapakios and Nomongo. Tapa Umumi Pahan Noktanani. Hello, my name is Neve Nez. My Hopi name is Josh Macy, which actually means Bluebird Girl. I am Badger Clan, born for the Towering House people from the village of Hope Vela on Third Mesa in northeastern Arizona on the Hopi Reservation. And I'm currently a third year at the University of Minnesota, Rochester. Honestly, I didn't even want to be a doctor. I didn't know what it took to be a doctor. I didn't even consider medical school. I thought medical school was beyond people like myself, in all honesty. I had no idea how to even get there. I, like, that just seemed very much not for myself or anybody like myself. My mom worked in office and, like, human resource at the time. My dad's been a fence builder since my sister was born science, all of it was very new to me. STEM was very new to me. I remember being in middle school, taking a high school biology class and being so amazed with mitosis and meiosis and looking at them under microscopes. I just could not believe I was looking at at something that was inside of you and what happened inside of you every single day. I realized that I really loved hands-on activity And I did a lot of basic laboratory work. I did uh, pipetting. I made agar plates. I was able to grow bacteria. I was just doing all sorts of stuff that, honestly, like, I didn't even know people did that. Going into how I got to where I am, I actually have a friend, and her name is Tulsi, and her brother was actually working towards going to medical school, and... I told her, I was like, that sounds pretty cool, but I don't think I could ever do that. And she's like, Nevae, she was like, you're the perfect person to be a doctor. Why stick to, like, being an athletic trainer? Why won't you be something beyond that? And she's like, and you're Native American. And she's like, do you know how many Native physicians are in the program? She's like, none. 
So I went home and I was like, what does it take to be a doctor? I searched it on the internet. I did my research and later found out that less than 1% of the American physicians are Native American or identify as Native American. And I was like, this makes so much sense because personally, I have never, I repeat, never met a Native doctor. So for me, I was like, this is crazy. Like, there needs to be more Native doctors. Um, As far as moving to Minnesota, my uncle, the one that played basketball. My name is Pete Nez. He was the person that I talked to a lot about. He was very much a father figure for me. I moved away in 2002 from Arizona. You guys were so young. You know, like, I remember going to college when always stopping by to see you girls before I had left because you guys were like my kids. You're my nieces. But I see you as my own daughters also. And when you had first mentioned about coming down to Minnesota or to going to school... You know, I was very supportive and tried to offer or tell you about some schools that had tuition waivers and stuff like that. And then one day I got an email from the University of Minnesota Rochester asking if I'd like to share my application for free. I did so. I didn't know where Rochester was. I had no idea what the school was all about. I just knew it was a new school and it was next to the Mayo Clinic and they only had two degrees to choose from, which is health sciences or health professions. And I told my uncle about it and he told me, he was like, oh, I, I've heard about that school. I felt that if you stayed anywhere closer to home, it was so easy to give up. And that was one of my things about going to college was that I had to leave or else I would get, I would have got stuck. Um, so that was like the easiest decision for me. And I'm glad you made your decision to coming over too. I remember telling my family when I was deciding to go to Minnesota that, that a lot of them didn't think that I could actually do it. And that a lot of them believe that I was going to lose myself and not saying I agree with them, but I, I also was scared of that. And I think that's why I've made it a priority to remember who I am and continue to embrace my identity. I'd always try my best to return back to Arizona to be a part of different ceremonies. I was very much unaware of what diverse meant in the sense of Minnesota because diverse for me back home was extensive. My graduating class was 350 students and 100 of those students were Native American. Probably another 100 were of Hispanic descent and the rest were white. So it was very much even playing field and I always seen someone like myself all the time. And when I came here, it was like, I'm sure I'm going to meet so many Native students. But when I got here, that was not the case. And I remember talking to people and they're like, oh, you're Native American? Like, that's pretty cool. Like, you're the first Native I've ever met. Like, and I was like, okay, this is a problem. Like, code red, <laughs> this is a problem. Later to find out, I was like one of the three students that identified as Native American at my campus and when I asked if they had like a Native American center there was nothing when I asked if they had any Native faculty there was nothing I asked for volunteer opportunities within Native communities there was nothing and I was shocked I there's no other way I can describe it but shocked and I called my mom. I was like, Mom, I'm the only Native here. And so I ended up applying for a program called Native Americans into Medicine, which is actually through the University of Minnesota Duluth. It's like I hit a pot of gold. Like I finally found Native individuals who are interested in medicine, and I found this community that I longed for. 
I could actually stay at the University of Minnesota Rochester, but I'd also be part of a mentoring program. We could talk forever, I think. You and I could. The founder of this program is Dr. Mary Owen, who's a Klinglet physician. So for me, that was super inspiring. You are not alone in your need to be connected to um, your community. So many students come from far away. Even if you're going to a local school, you're still not in your community for the most part, except for our tribal colleges, right? So that's number one, that connectedness. It has to be there. We are um, not individually driven, we're community driven. The statistics say that one in three of us is living in poverty. I would say that's probably more like one in two. So that impacts the students who are coming to us. Like me, I was raised in four different trailer courts, 10 different homes. And also most of us are first generation. Our parents don't know how to guide us through the system. So we have to supply those resources that are the norm for 80% of the kids. 80% of kids um, in medical school come from families that have doctors or other highly educated folks in their families right? So we have to provide the books. We have to help people um, remember how to study, given the environment of medical school, that it is that fire hose of information. You don't have to be brilliant, but you have to be able to organize quickly and take in tons of information. So when students aren't ready, we have to be able to help them do that. Students aren't always able to afford everything, even though you have these financial aid packages. More students in Native communities come in with debt load that's higher than other students. Native students also often come in wanting to help family members. That's just what you do. I've had medical students, Native medical students who've worked jobs. One even worked two jobs to support family. So making sure that you're covering for the resources that you assume are there but often are not because our families, our communities are living in much more dire circumstances for the most part. That's a generalization. So community, connectedness, resources that you don't often think of, having a safe place that they can go when they're hearing microaggressions and racism. They need to be able to go and talk with other people who help them so that they don't feel like they're losing their minds, that they're not off base, that what they heard was indeed um, something that wasn't appropriate. They shouldn't have to deal with it while they're trying to go to medical school or succeed in undergraduate school. Those are some of the key factors. When I came to UMR, I felt like I was representing a whole community, and because I was representing a whole community, I felt like I needed to be like something like a family medicine doctor or some, a general surgeon or something that wasn't an orthopedic surgeon, because I felt like an orthopedic surgeon wasn't helping the majority of population. Yeah, I would argue that if there's any place we really need natives in the specialty care, because we already know family docs are so nice, and for the most part, <laughs> and pediatricians, <laughs> the generalists are not as the big as big a problem, right? But we need we need to see our faces everywhere, and and yeah. and to help those professions recognize that there are different models yeah. for health, right? Um, you you're going to bring to orthopedics this emphasis on community as far as healing and Mm -hmm. some more of our traditional beliefs, right? Respect, honor, humility, all of those. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Today I will be presenting my capstone, Two Worlds, Walking the Path of Higher Education as an Indigenous Student in Health. Before I do so, I would also like to do a land acknowledgement as the University of Minnesota Rochester is located on the homeland of the Dakota, Ho-Chunk, and other Native peoples. You know, my time at UMR has been different than most people. I don't think people understand exactly who I am and where I come from because this is a university centered around future healthcare professions. Cultural competency is super important because not only are you serving people that look like you, but you're serving people that don't look like you. And, you know, healthcare is is a system that was not designed for others to succeed. So, you know, essentially this university is the change for all that and I think that's why it's so important for the students around me to learn more about who I am who other people are who refugees are who people that are being overlooked are they gave me the opportunity for my Hopi name to be said at graduation Nave Josh Maisie Rose Nez distinguished capstone not gonna lie like I think that's pretty cool and I think it just means that there's a lot more room for change than I thought here there was one moment where my chancellor came up to me and was like we're gonna miss you like 
you have done so much for this university that, you know, you're not going to go unremembered. Like, one thing she asked me was if I was going to continue to be on the American Indian Advisory Board. She was like, because you jump-started this. That's a huge honor to know that I have that impact on people. But also to know that, like, I have left my mark here. I'm going to be honest. If you would have asked me a couple years ago, maybe even my first year of college, if I would graduate college, if I would make it, I probably would have said no. Like, there are multiple times that I believe that I did not belong here. Maybe I was making the wrong decision going into health. But, like, you know, everything I've done during college has really led me to feel that I belong. And, like, it's so crazy to think that, like, I have a degree. I have something nobody can take away from me. And it's amazing. To know that I possess something that, you know, my family couldn't. So these are our college stories. You've heard from Ruben Quito Stately, Archie Yellow, and me, Nevenez. We're just three of 100,000 Native students across the country. So our stories don't represent everyone. Not by a long shot. But one thing we hope you'll take away is the power of our resilience. We're speaking up when people don't know our stories or that Native American people even exist. We're overcoming all kinds of barriers to be the first in our families to go to college. And we're finding a way to be successful in two worlds, to stand among our people and to stand in a larger society. We're motivated to make a difference for future generations of Indian people for all of those who come after us. You've been listening to Standing in Two Worlds, Native American College Diaries, a documentary from American Public Media. It was produced by Neve Nez, Archie Yellow, and me, Ruben Quito Stately. We worked with producer Sasha Eslanian and editor Stephen Smith, Special thanks to Melissa Olson, Jill Barche, and Chris Worthington. Mixing by Craig Thorson. Web editor, Andy Cruz. Fact checker, Betsy Towner-Levine. The APM reports team includes Catherine Winter, Emily Hanford, and Lauren Humpert. Support for this program comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Education Writers Association. This is APM. American Public Media. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.